Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today and happy Palm Sunday. If we haven't met before, my name's Stu. I'm one of the pastors here. And before I open up the scriptures today, I want to take a moment just to mention just a couple of things around us returning back to in-person services. If you missed Laura's announcements at the start of the service, do jump back and listen to what she said about that. Some really helpful information as we get to coming back together. But before I do any of that, I do also want to say a few thank yous. For the past year, our Sunday services have looked very different, but you have engaged with this in your homes. And I want to say to each of you, well done. I know it's been different, and I know that at times it may have been difficult, but well done for keeping going this year. Well done for creating space in your homes for your kids to be able to worship through everything that's gone on through party people. As you've created space on your Sunday mornings or throughout the week to open up the scriptures, to listen to our teachings, to worshiping together, praying together, jumping on Coffee and Connect on Zoom after the service. Thank you for being faithful to the ways of Jesus this year. Well done for keeping going. But Sunday mornings, from my vantage point, from this perspective, have looked very, very different. We are in an empty room right now, and there's a small band of heroes just at the back here, the masked musketeers, as I like to call them. And to make all of this happen, there's been so many volunteers who have pulled in such a massive job this year, and we are so indebted to them. And here's the thing, you will never see the amount of work that they have done, but trust me, they have done so much work for our community. From the Party People team, to the AV team, we now have this whole brand new team who are locked in the family space and never getting out to help us with our live stream. There's the worship team, also our staff team, and people like, and I'm not gonna be able to name everybody, but people like Andy McCabe, Alan Lewis, Pete Laverty, Lucy, Joel Wiseman, Jeremy Gad, Jason Moore, Chris Semple, Darren Wilson, and of course, the undefeatable Michael Wright. There are way too many people to name, but we are so grateful to each of you. Thank you all so much for all that you've done. And as we look to the return of in-person services next week, it is really important to stress that our live stream will continue. You're still going to be able to connect with this in your homes. And next week's uh, Sunday service, there's going to be family party, which is going to be happening at half nine. And by all means, feel free to jump in on that. It's going to be a blast. But this service is going to be taking place at 11.30 if you're going to be joining in on the live stream. Now, just a couple of really quick points around next week's services and the services that are going to be happening beyond that. Registration for all the services next week, apart from two spaces for Good Friday, are now completely booked out. We are maxed out. And here's the thing. Things are going to look really different in church life compared to what they did look like in early 2020. Namely, we're going to have to have reduced capacity in our services to allow space for social distancing. Now, if you were hoping to join us next weekend, there is still the option for you to jump onto the events page of our website and to sign up for a waiting list in case anybody drops out and we can get in contact with you. So do jump onto that if you want to join the waiting list. Now, some of you may be disappointed that you're not going to be able to join us next week in person, and I get that. But let me say this. We're not a church that likes to play it safe, 
However, in light of everything that's going on right now, safety is so important. Safety for you as you come into this space, safety for our volunteers, also our wider community. Our heart is for them, and we want to make sure that we are playing it safe. Now, we're also at the beginning, only the beginning of what is going to be a couple of months of things opening up. And we want to be careful. We want to be that little bit more cautious. And we're not just going to kind of roll out a whole bunch of gatherings really, really quickly. Now, we're slowly going to add more services as we go. We're starting small, and we're anticipating that we will be rolling out more in-person services in the foreseeable. So do keep an eye out on your emails for some announcements about that. But please hear our heart in this. Nobody knows how to do church in a COVID normal world. Nobody does. We are stepping into the unknown yet again. And all we know for sure is that things won't look like they looked in the early part of 2020. But for us as leaders in this community, pastors of you, we want to be wise and we want to be diligent we don't want to rush ahead, but we also want to recognize that next week is only the beginning. And as things open up, so will more service options open up for us as we go. So if you've got any questions for us, if you want to chat this through, by all means, please do come and speak to us. Can I invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26? As the Passover meal came to an end, and as they cleared away the leftovers of lamb, of mint, of bread, and of wine, Jesus and his friends sang a hymn together. They sang the great Hallel, a Jewish Passover song that pulled together some lines from Psalm 113 all the way to Psalm 118. Psalms that invited the Jewish community to retell the story of Exodus and to give thanks. Listen to some of the words that Jesus and his friends would have sang that night. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. O oh Lord, save us. O oh Lord, grant us success. Now remember, this is the song that Jesus sang the night before that he was executed at the hands of the empire. He had literally a few minutes earlier shed broken bread and poured out wine to symbolize what he would experience tomorrow. And he sang a song. And on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus would sing the final lines of this hymn, lyrics which went like this, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let's read. Matthew chapter 26, starting from verse 36 together. These are the events that took place after Jesus sang this hymn. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
And he went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Then he came back and he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. And so he left them and he went away once more and prayed the third time saying the same thing. And then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The son of man is to be delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the word of the Lord given to us so that we may know the glory of the father, may practice the way of the son and may be filled over and over and over again by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for us as we open up the scriptures. Holy Spirit, Christ, Father, would you speak to us? Would you lead us in your ways? May we know your glory. Jesus, as we look upon one of the most vulnerable and raw moments of your life on earth, I pray that you would help us. Help us to become more like you. Help us to hear your invitation to trust, to openness. And more than anything, Father, I pray that we would experience your love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As Jesus said to his disciples in verse 31 of chapter 26, this was the night whenever Zechariah's prophecy would come true. The shepherd would be struck and his flock would flee. Facing all that lay ahead, Jesus had to pray. And he takes the same three disciples who would have witnessed his transfiguration to go and be with him at this moment of utter terror. And Jesus enters into the Garden of Gethsemane completely overwhelmed. He is sorrowful to the point of death. He is absolutely distressed. He's feeling a sense of acute emotional pain. And in Luke's version of events, he speaks of Jesus sweating blood, a rare condition whenever somebody is in such emotional, physical, or spiritual anguish that not only are they sweating profusely, but blood is being pushed through their pores. There is a raw intensity to this moment as Jesus asks his friends to keep watch, to stay awake. And he goes a little bit further into the garden. He falls to the ground and he begins to cry out in intimate and intense prayer. Through the watches of the night, Jesus repeats a prayer over and over and over again. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Now, it's hard for us to wrap our heads around what is spinning around the mind of Christ in this moment, but filled with unspeakable pain, Jesus asks for a cup to be taken away from him. And the cup that Jesus speaks of, well, sometimes we can narrow it down to what we see Jesus going through the next day, right? We see the physical pain, we see the humiliation, we see the cat of nine tails ripping skin off of his back. We see Jesus being forced to be his own executioner as to grab a breath from the cross. He would have had to have pulled himself upwards only for his own diaphragm to have suffocated him. And yet, there's more. Because the reason that Jesus asked for this cup to be taken away from him was that tomorrow, all sin, all evil, all corruption would be placed upon him. Tomorrow, he would have to drink of the wrathful wine of God. And so as Jesus returns to the disciples and finds them sleeping, well, he would see that it is only the beginning of his experience 
because tomorrow he would be abandoned. Jesus would be rejected. Or as he would say from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the terror that Jesus is facing in the garden. As he looks into tomorrow, a day that would be marked by abandonment, abandonment of father and friends. The cup that Jesus was to drink would taste like an aloneness that no one would ever have to face. And why? Because Jesus drank every last drop. Faced with tomorrow, Jesus prays, and he prays, and he prays. Now, I want you to notice the power of prayer here. Prayer in its most raw, honest, and vulnerable moments. Notice how Jesus prays. Jesus' prayers, firstly, are directed towards the Father, right? He begins every prayer by putting into words the reality of this loving, intimate relationship that he had with the Father. Remember, his love endures forever were the last words that Jesus sang on the way to the garden. And because of the depth of this relationship, Jesus can be honest with his Father. There is a purity, there is a humanity to how Jesus prays. Facing the cross, Jesus doesn't like walk away thinking, I'm going to sort this all out myself. He says, no, I'm going to root myself here. I'm going to be open and unafraid with what is truly going on with me. He protests, he laments, he's just lying there on the ground, vulnerable before his Father. And he keeps on praying. Here we see the power of repetitive contending prayer. Because sometimes we can narrow prayer down to us telling God what we think he should do when in fact our prayers should form us. Whenever we learn to pray like Jesus, our prayers will form us in the ways of love and in the ways of trust. The writer of Hebrews describes the life of Jesus and riffs off this moment by saying this, Hebrews 5, 7 to 9. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his uh, reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. In Gethsemane, Jesus' prayers were heard, but they were not answered. The Father didn't take the cup away. The cross, God's greatest revelation of himself, which we will gather around together as a community this Friday, it had to happen. Salvation was impossible without Jesus drinking of this cup. The crucifixion of God made man, it was the only way that our sin, the Old Testament being fulfilled and death being conquered could actually happen. As Jesus was lifted high up on a tree, he was lifted high above all evil and above all empires. He defeated the evil one on the cross and hanging between two criminals, he extended the kingdom's invitation of hospitable love far and wide had to be this way. We've got to be so careful to see that there is more than one thing happening on the cross. It is kaleidoscopic. It is inexhaustibly rich. And in Mark's retelling of Gethsemane, he records Jesus saying, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. 
take this cup away from me. And yet for rescue and for resurrection to happen, one thing was impossible. And Jesus, well, in this moment, he knows this. And so he dies before he dies. In the garden, he surrenders and he trusts. He knows that the cup of the cross will not be taken away from humanity unless he himself drinks it. And with redemption's resolve in his voice, he says, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus' death is his greatest act of trust in the Father. And from the garden, he jumps into the darkness of death. And he jumps confidently, certain that the Father will catch him, will awaken him, will perfect him, and will establish him as the source of eternal life. In the garden, Jesus surrenders himself fully to the will of God. And the intensity of this moment, the intensity of the garden, it does cause us to ask some questions. Namely, why? And also how? Why did Jesus say yes to the cross? How did he say yes to the cross? And the answer to both of these questions well, it's love. Jesus himself would say in John 15, greater love has no one than this, but to lay down one's life for one's friends. As we look to Jesus, all we see is love. We see his joy in loving us, his solidarity with us, how he engages our troubles comprehensively. As we are weary and heavy laden, we see that Jesus is gentle, he is lowly, he washes our feet and invites us to recline up against him as we catch our breath. His love, it always outpaces our prodigal wanderings away from him. He is the fountain of endless mercy, an ever-present friend who goes the length of the cross to empty himself in love. Jesus' deepest impulse is to move towards us in self-giving, unconditional, hesed love. His love never runs dry. Jesus died, and he lives for this stuff. And whenever we see Jesus tormented in the garden, we see just how much this love cost. And for Jesus, it was worth it. His love is not like a flimsy flirt with us, right? You aren't willing to sweat blood and be tortured unless the depth of love that you have is raw and it is rich. Whenever we see the lengths that Jesus is willing to go for our salvation, whenever we see that there is no limit to his love, well, we can be the kind of people that can learn to put the full weight of our lives upon the love of Jesus. There are a lot of things that I am uncertain of, things that I do not know about and things that I am unsure of. And yet there is one thing that I know, that I know, that I know is certain. And it is the love of Jesus. This is my experience of life with him, journeying with the authentic Jesus, the kind of Jesus that I see in the garden of Gethsemane. I've come to see and know that his love endures forever. As Tish Harrison Warren puts it in her remarkable book, Prayer in the Night, 
The reason God is trustworthy is because God is love and his love is not like ours. Our love from the best to the worst of us is more akin to day and night. It comes and goes, it rises and it falls. At times we love purely and nobly and it is glorious, but it always fades and falters. The sun sets. But God's love is a constant, not night and day, but the speed of light. His love is the center of all things and there is no darkness in it. The love of God, not sickness or weariness or death or suffering or affliction or joy, is the fixed center of our lives and eternity. Why did Jesus say yes to the cross? Love. And how did Jesus say yes to the cross? Love. Speaking of the Father, the ragamuffin Brennan Manning would say, you will trust him to the degree that you know you are loved by him. Let me say that again. You will trust the Father to the degree that you know you are loved by him. Love and trust, they are tethered together. You trust the ones that you love and you love the ones that you trust, right? And Jesus was able to close his prayers with, yet not as I will, but as you will, because he started his prayers with my Father. Jesus was so aware that he was the beloved, that he, full of trust, was willing to leap into the darkness for the Father's glory and for our good. Jesus sang, your love endures forever on the way to the garden. And we can look at Gethsemane, And we can stand back and we can marvel at Jesus and of course we should. And yet there is also an invitation here. An invitation to learn to be the kind of people who learn to pray, your will be done and mean it. But there is often one thing that holds us back from trust and it's hurt. How can we learn to trust God whenever life breaks our hearts. Brandon Manning would say this, in the midst of the ruins, in the premature death of a loved one, in the hell on earth that we call a crack house, in the ache of heartbreak, in the sheer malevolence of genocide, the presence of God still abides. The trusting disciple, often through clenched teeth, says in effect, God is still trustworthy not because of unrestricted power to intervene on my behalf. Remember, the Father did not take the cup away. But Manning would go on to say this, he is trustworthy because of a promise given and sustained in Christian communities throughout the generations. In the midst of tragic events that leaves us bereft of understanding, trust does not command explanations, but turns to the one who promised, I will not leave you as orphans. The promise keeper, the Lord that we turn to is the one who prayed, your will be done with sweat drops of blood dripping down his face. Trust is never tested on the good days, right? Days whenever it's so clear that God loves us because everything's kind of cushy. And if we're to be honest, what we think of God is so often determined by the balance of how good or bad things are going for us, right? And so on the harder, harsher days, that's whenever we can find ourselves questioning God's love for us. When in fact, those are the days whenever if we're willing to be held up 
by it that Jesus expresses his love in the most beautiful of ways as he whispers to our hurting hearts, I will never leave you. It's lovers that stick around whenever things get hard. It's lovers who draw close. And as Tim Keller would say, if we ask why God allows, sorry, if we ask why does God allow evil and suffering to continue, and we look at the cross of Jesus, we still do not know what the answer is. However, we do know what the answer isn't. It can't be that he doesn't love us. In his wisdom, in his infinite wisdom, we see in the garden and on the cross that God did not keep bad things from happening to God himself. And whenever we see Jesus, we see what God is like, a suffering savior. And so from that place of felt experience, Jesus sympathizes with us. By his spirit, he sweeps on into our experience and is with us at all times, particularly in the moments when we hurt Whenever we learn to participate in our suffering, as particularly in our suffering, we get to participate in the fullness of the Christ life. God never promised to explain himself, but he always promised to stay near. And in the way of the West, and in the shallowness of the Christian industrial complex, yes, I said it, we can so easily slip into believing that God is only evident whenever life works out the way that we want it to be. And whenever it does, we cue the massive arena worship anthem, right? But the flip side of that, the shadow of it, is that whenever there is no sign of breakthrough, well then, that is the moments whenever the love of God gets put on the stand and questioned by us because things haven't worked out. That is not the way of Jesus. Because through unemployment, through the breakup, through sickness, through the loneliness, through the long struggle with sin, through the pandemic, through the disappointment, through the deaths of those we love, and even our own deaths, our song, it may sound like the blues, but the lyrics go something like this, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love, it endures forever. My love for my wife is not fueled by me getting some kind of life because I'm associated by her. No, I love her because I get to be with her. Love is presence. And no matter the circumstances that surround us, no matter how confusing they are, we can be confident in the kindness of God because he promised to be with us. Remember, you will learn to trust in Jesus to the degree that you know that you're loved by him. It's so easy for us to pray, God, let your will be done. You know, one eye closed, leaning back, not wanting anything to change but it's a totally different thing for our eyes to be closed, arms open wide, God, let your will be done. That posture, it begins with love. It begins by knowing that you are the beloved, and I am utterly convinced the more that we allow the love of Christ to be the orientating, burning center of our lives, the more that we will see his kingdom come. These things are tethered together. They're not separate. Our desire for this region to be turned around and come alive through the ways of the kingdom, it begins by our love for Jesus and experiencing his love for us. And as we learn to love, we learn to trust and live open to his ways even in the midst of our lives. Some of you have come to believe that you're unlovable. 
that there is nothing that you have done. Sorry, so, let me say it again. Some of you have come to believe that you are unlovable, right? And I've got some good news for you. Because there is nothing that you have done or will do that will separate you from the love of God. Even that which you cannot speak of because it tastes like shame whenever you come to speak of it. Well, it's par over your life. That thing, it died with Jesus on the cross. And some of you may have heard that Jesus loves you so many times that it's become old news. Well, for you, may this holy week, may you see the face of Christ. Would you see the mercy in his eyes? May you not only be saved by the love of God, but may you be shaped by the love of God, learning to live with a ruthless trust as you see how close he is. Love and trust, they are tethered together. There's no other story in the scriptures that grabs my attention and sparks my imagination more than Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's one of the reasons why I follow him. And in the garden, we see what God is like. We see a God in his vulnerable fullness, staring into death and into darkness. And in that moment, Jesus leans on trust and he leans on love. And we are invited to live the Christ life in the Christ way, knowing that we are loved and learning to pray, not my will, but yours be done. Tish Harrison Warren again puts it like this. God loves us passionately and wants to bring us joy and flourishing, but this doesn't preclude a cross. God's love is refracted through the cross, which often makes it hard to see or to recognize, but if we are to learn to trust, to place the weight of our lives on the love of God, we can only learn to do this through the cross. The garden, this moment, it helps me to see life clearly. Sorrow and trouble will find us. We will hurt. But the hard moments, they don't preclude us from the love of Jesus. In fact, they invite us deeper into it. The the refracted light of God, it speeds towards us in the darkest of places and it beckons us towards him in love. Our way of life is the way of the cross, and it is the only way that leads us onto resurrection road. And so whatever you may be facing today, I want you to hear me. Jesus can be trusted with your life. You can place the whole weight of your life upon the love of God. Everything may be uncertain, but trust me, his love is not Look at the lengths that Jesus went. The love of God is our beginning and it's also our end. Our stories are caught up in a larger story and the center point of that larger story is a cross that is full of love. And whether you find yourself walking into gardens of Eden today or gardens of Gethsemane, may the final line of your song forever be Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his love endures forever. Emily, James, guys, do you want to come on up? The truth is, nothing, nothing, nothing 
can separate us from the love of God. And yet the truth is, is that sometimes we separate ourselves off from his love. We take sections of our life and we think, actually, no, I need to withhold that from God's love because I can't bring that to him. We think that there are things that we have done. There are things that there are pain that we're going through. We feel as if, I don't know what it is about us being from where we are, but we struggle to be honest with the truth of what is happening within us. That we can't be honest with what's going on. And so we'd far rather run by ourselves rather than running to the Father and receiving his love for us, being open to Jesus, being present with what is happening in our lives. So sometimes our griefs, our disappointments, our doubts, our questions, our patterns of sin, we just withhold them from God. We can't bring that to Jesus, right? In the garden, Jesus shows us a different way to pray. I said this a couple of moments ago, the love of God, not sickness or weariness or death or suffering or affliction or joy, the love of God is the fixed center of our lives. And I know because I know some of you are facing hard and difficult things. I know because I know some of you are separating sections of your life away from the love of God. I want you to hear today, but more than that, I want you to experience Jesus has not left you. All of your life can be offered to him as an act of prayer. Every moment of the human experience is a valid entry point into prayer. And so that part of you that hurts, that part of you that is sore, that part of you that is ashamed, where we so often want to hide away from the presence of Jesus, and in fact, we can bring that to him. We can be like Jesus in the garden, open, vulnerable, and unafraid. So if that resonates with you at home, that resonates with you. I want to invite you just to take a moment. I want to invite you just to take a moment. And I want to invite you just to close your eyes. I want to invite you just Take a few breaths. We're not going to rush through this. And if you've been withholding something from Jesus, if you have not been honest, if you have kind of sectioned off a part of your life, if you have not been open, if you have not been open, and you recognize that actually in these moments, in the moments that hurt me, and the parts of my life that are sore, that you know that you need to receive the love of Jesus. Can I invite you just to open out your hands? I invite you just to open out your hands. I'm going to walk you through just the next moment or so. Name what is going on with you. In the presence of Jesus, just be open. Jesus, just call it for what it is. Just be open. Just be open. Begin to have a conversation with Him. Express what is truly going on with you. Express what is truly going on with you. Spirit, I pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come right now. You would come right now. Awaken us, Lord, to your presence. Lord, to your presence. Help us to see that even in the midst of our confession, that you have drawn closer and closer and closer and closer. 
in our homes right now. In our homes, would you come? Would you come? Help us to see that the atmosphere is different because you're in the atmosphere is different because you're in the air. Just take a moment just to rest in the presence of Jesus. Recognizing that even though you've been honest with him, that actually he is still there and first time with a part Maybe of your life that you've withheld from Jesus, I pray that the Father will not withhold his love for you. May you know that you are the beloved, that you can cry out to God saying, cry, Father, Abba, recognizing that he is always wrapping his arms around you and drawing you closer into his embrace. May you feel the love of Jesus. May you be filled with his embrace, his spirit. Please fill us with love. Fill us with love. Help us to see the mercy of Jesus. See the mercy of Jesus. Help us to feel his embrace. Help us to feel his embrace. Some of you may want to stay in this place for a little bit longer as we come to worship. But can I invite us all in our homes to stand together? And I want you to move closer towards the screen. Closer to the screen. It's not really. Just come closer to the screen. Because there's going to be a prayer that's going to appear on the screen that I'd love us to pray. This is a prayer that has cropped up a couple of random times throughout the year as we have done Sunday evening communion services. Yes, remember those times whenever we have done Sunday services like this. This is a prayer that we have prayed. The prayer three, two, one. It's a prayer that keeps on cropping up. And as we move into the last week of Lent, this is a prayer that I want us to pray together. It's a prayer that is full of trust. It's a prayer that articulates the words of Jesus, not as I will, but as you will. It's the, a prayer that articulates the words of Jesus whenever he cries out into your hands, I commit my spirit. So as we come to worship, I want to invite you to speak these words aloud with me in your home. Only say them brutally. If you're with your family right now, can I invite you to kind of huddle together, lay hands on each other, hold each other as we pray this prayer of trust, as we declare it's like good Jesus is. Let's pray these words together. Let's pray these words together. Abba. That was nice, man. That was nice. Let me use this microphone. All right. Open up your hands. Close your eyes. No, don't close your eyes because you need to keep them open for reading this. Open up your hands. Let's say this. And let's say this loudly, let's say this boldly, let's say this full of trust, recognizing that nothing can separate us from the love of God, and that means that we can trust Him with all of our life. Abba, I surrender my will and my life to you today without reservation and with humble confidence, for you are my loving Father. Set me free from self-consciousness, from anxiety about tomorrow, and from the tyranny of the approval and the disapproval of others, that I may find joy and delight simply and solely in pleasing you. May my inner freedom be a compelling sign of your presence, your peace, your power, and your love. Let your plan for my life and the lives of all of your children gracefully unfold one day at a time. I love you. 
with all of my heart and I place all of my confidence in you for you are my Abba. Let's join together and let's give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love, it endures forever. Live this holy week. May our prayer be Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And yet every day of our lives, while we still have breath in our lungs, may our prayer forever be, yet not as I will, but as you.